Well, this morning, as uh, part of our sermon series in the book of Jonah, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look back at Jonah uh, through the lens of Mark's gospel. Now, as you, as you may remember, uh, from the start of our series just a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you may remember that, that the prophet, uh, he is referred to specifically elsewhere uh, outside of the book of Jonah. Uh, two of those places are found in, in Matthew and Luke, but also we see him clearly in Mark's gospel. And so that's what we're going to seek to do today. Uh, and our text this morning is Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 35 through 41. And before we hear this part of God's word, uh, let's go to him in prayer. Well, Lord God, we do uh, once again thank you for revealing yourself to us in the pages of Scripture. We come to you, uh, we come before you in this hour and ask that we might see Jesus. And so we ask now that by the power of your Spirit, that that you would move amongst us, that you would work within us, and that you would open your word to us and us to your word. For it's in Jesus we come, and in him we pray. Amen. And so, Mark uh, chapter 4, beginning with verse 35, hear the word of God. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And suddenly a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling with water. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And this is God's word. Well, of course, I realize for many of you, you are probably quite familiar with this story. But today, as part of our series in the book of Jonah, we're going to take a look at the passage as it pertains to Jonah. And so we're going to look at this passage, we're going to be taking a look at another boat, another storm, and another Jonah. So that's how we're going to walk through the passage. Another boat, another storm, another Jonah. And so first, another boat. And of course, we find this boat on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus and the the disciples are together in a boat. They are headed across uh, the Sea of Galilee, and it's evening, uh, probably a A nice night for a quiet sail. Jesus is tired. 
Uh, if you would read back a little bit uh, earlier in, in, in chapter 4, you would see that he has been teaching all day. So after a long day of teaching, he's tired and decides to take a nap in the boat. You know, you can imagine the disciples probably just smiling, thinking to themselves, you know, he's such a, a great teacher, even a good carpenter, but probably, you know, doesn't know a whole lot about boats, not that experienced, so just let him sleep. We've got this. Well, the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. Okay, that's pretty far down. And then just about 30 miles north of there, we, found, we find uh, Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 feet high. And so something that happens regularly is that the, the cold air from way up, 10,000 feet above, that cold air from way up on the mountain will come down and clash with the, with the warmer air along the water. And then, of course, what happens? Storms. And, and they're, they're sudden storms. Now, this was, was not a surprise to any of, of these disciples as they went out. I mean, they were, they were used to the, this. Uh, you know, remember that, that several of them were fishermen. Themse- fishermen. They experienced these storms. They knew how to handle their boats. And so they knew the Sea of Galilee, if you think about it, they knew it like the back of their hands, kind of in the same way when you drive somewhere familiar, maybe to church this morning, maybe on your way to work. So, so this journey was no more out of the ordinary for them as it would be for us on our way, on a familiar path to a familiar place. But then as we know, all of a sudden, out of nowhere comes what was a huge, terrifying storm says, verse 37, a great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling with water, so that it was nearly swamped. And notice that our text says that it was a great storm. It was a great storm, okay? Mark uses the word great, a superlative, and literally in Greek, the word is mega. In fact, Mark uses that word three times in this passage. Uh, He notes that there's a mega storm, a mega fear, and a mega calm. But back to the men in this boat in this particular storm. Because again, it must have been a tremendous storm. Experienced fishermen, used to storms, but now one has come upon them and they are scared to death. They are afraid that they are going to die. They cry out to Jesus and Jesus rebukes the storm. Jesus says to the storm, verse 39, peace, be still. That's it. Literally, be quiet and stay quiet. The storm obeys Jesus' command. Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it this way in the Jesus Storybook Bible. The disciples screamed, help, wake up quick, Jesus. Jesus opened his eyes. Rescue us, save us, don't you care? Of course Jesus cared. This was the very reason he had come to rescue them and to save them. Jesus stood up, spoke to the storm, hush, He said, that's all. And the strangest thing happened. 
The wind and the waves recognized Jesus' voice. They had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that had created them in the beginning. They listened to Jesus and they did what he said. Immediately, the wind stopped. The water calmed down. It glittered innocently in the moonlight and lapped quietly against the side of the boat as if nothing had happened. The little boat bobbed gently up and down, up and down. There was a deep stillness and a great quiet all around. Jesus speaks, and the storm obeys. Verse 39 states that there was a great calm, a mega calm. No wind, water smooth as glass. A Category 5 hurricane silenced instantly with just a word. Be quiet and stay quiet. And when you think about that, how amazing that is, I mean, for those of you who have young children and when mine were younger, I've used those same words with much less effectiveness, be quiet and stay quiet. But Jesus isn't talking to young children. He is talking to a hurricane. He is talking into a mega storm and immediately there is mega calm. And then did you notice how the passage ends? So as you've heard, verse 39, the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then verse 41, and the disciples were filled with great fear, mega fear. You see, Jesus' display of power, it creates tension. It's brought an unsettledness to these disciples that they haven't known in their time with him. And that leads to our next point. And so next, another storm. Again, Sally Lloyd-Jones. The little boat bobbed gently up and down, up and down. There was a deep stillness and a great quiet all around. Then Jesus turned to his frightened friends Why were you so scared? Did you forget who I am? Did you believe your fears instead of me? Jesus' friends were quiet. As quiet as the wind and the waves. And into their hearts came a different kind of storm. What kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? A different kind of storm. And of course, we're talking about the storm within. Verse 41 says of the disciples, they were filled with great fear. Another translation, they were absolutely terrified. And then most literally, they were afraid with a mega fear. But why? I mean, why were they so afraid? Jesus is is with them. He has just taken care of this hurricane. Well, they are scared, in the words of one theologian, because they have just realized that Jesus is just as unmanageable as the storm itself. And his unmanageable power terrifies them. 
You know, we have categories for hurricanes, but they have no category for a man like this. None. The storm, we know it was definitely terrifying, but now Jesus is more terrifying. He's not domesticated, and in that sense, he's not safe. In the words of one biblical scholar, the disciples wanted a friendly, familiar human Jesus, not a supernatural son of God. And you know, aren't we so much the same way? I mean, wanting a a familiar, friendly, comfortable human Jesus, a Jesus that we can pray to and offer our influence, maybe manage a little and predict what's going to happen. And you know, that, that is why our culture is so much more comfortable with Christmas than with Easter. I mean, think about it. A little baby seems much less threatening than a resurrected, conquering king. Do you want a God whose main goal is to give you the life that you really want? Those things that you most deeply desire? Do you want a God that that doesn't have to rebuke storms because he doesn't allow them into your life in the first place? And if I'm going to be honest, my answer to both of those questions is, yeah. Yeah, I often prefer a storm-free life rather than a faith-filled life. Uh, Rather than having to, to trust Jesus day in and day out in everything, and especially in the midst of life storms. You know, rather than a Lord and Savior, so much of the time, we would rather have a genie in the lamp. Just do our bidding for us as we command. But by grace, we get so much more than a genie in the lamp. We get the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-sufficient God of the universe. We get Jesus. Now, yes, as followers of Jesus, we have true friendship with him, no doubt. Jesus himself talks about that. But we do not manage him. We do not call the shots. He is our friend. He is also our master and our king. And in that sense, he isn't safe, but he is good. And we're called to trust him, to trust him no matter what we're facing, to trust him in the midst of all of life's storms, to take him at his word. When he says, get in the boat so that we can go to the other side, he will get us to the other side. And so we're to take him at his word, even and especially when we don't understand, we cannot fathom how all of the pieces might fit together, trusting that he knows and that he is fitting them together. But just like the disciples, we all struggle to trust him. And just like the disciples, at times our hearts cry out, do you not care? And with this question, verse 38, with this question, the gospel writer invites us to be honest. Do you not care? Do you not care about my declining health? Do you not care 
about my financial struggles? Do you not care about my broken relationships, my broken dreams? Do you not care, God? You know, anyone who has ever lived the life of faith at some point has cried out in desperation, do you not care? And maybe that's the cry of your heart this morning. Uh, Maybe a, a sorrowful resignation. Maybe an angry accusation. Do you not care? Pastor Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. The disciples had been doubting whether Jesus really cared for them. They had lost faith in his love for them. Hence their question, do you not care? It was the cruelest question they could have asked. Because the very reason he was in the boat, indeed in the world, and the reason he was going to die on the cross was precisely because he cares. Yet they were not persuaded in their hearts that this was so. And as a result, they allowed the storm to come between them and the assurance of their master's love for them. And then Ferguson continues saying, And aren't we just like them? We all experience fear and we all struggle to trust Jesus When storms arise, we often lose sight of His love for us. We allow our faith to be diverted from its anchor in the cross. And we lose our moorings in the storms of life. And so how do we know? How do we know that God cares? That Jesus cares? Well, that brings us to our final point. And so lastly, another Jonah. Well, I remember several years ago, a distinguished older gentleman who had just started coming to the church, had probably been here for a few months at this point, is is no longer here, so I feel fine sharing the, the story. But a distinguished older gentleman, I remember one day, one morning, his comment was, "Why? it seems like all of those who ever preach in this church that you you basically all end up saying pretty much the same thing. I mean, by the end of the sermon, you you seem to always take us to the cross. Why? It might not even be in the text. Well, the answer is simple. It's always in the text, and we often forget the good news. Because you see, at the cross, that's where we see that God so loved the world. At the cross, we see his mega love for us, that he really does care, no matter how we're feeling. We can see the truth, the reality, the fact of his care for us. Okay, but where do we see the cross in in, in this passage? And, And how does all of this relate to Jonah? Well, I'm glad you asked. And so, to answer that, we've got to take a closer look at the storm and ultimately at the king of the storm. Well, in in ancient cultures, the sea was viewed as the most dangerous threat to man, the most uncontrollable and unpredictable part of the world. One commentator states that for the Jews, the sea came to symbolize the dark power of evil, 
threatening to destroy God's good creation, God's people, and God's purposes. And so, believing the sea to be the most dangerous threat to man, ancient cultures agreed that only the gods could control it. Okay, so now, think back these past couple of weeks as we've been in Jonah chapter 1. Huge storm. The sailors begin calling out to their gods. Nothing changes. They tell Jonah to call out to his God. Maybe something will happen. And so, in the book of Jonah, everyone is calling out to his own God. But notice the difference here. Here in Mark 4. Note that Jesus calls on no higher power. He is the higher power. He simply speaks and the storm is silenced. The wind and sea listen because God has spoken. But now let's, let's take it a step further. You see, many commentators make the connection The connection between the calming of the storm in Jonah and the calming of the storm here in Mark. In fact, Mark uses almost identical language to that used in Jonah chapter 1. Here here are a few of the significant similarities between the two stories. Uh, Both Jonah and Jesus are in a boat. They're at sea. Uh, Both boats are overtaken by a storm. Again, the description uh, of the storms is almost identical. Uh, Both Jonah and Jesus are asleep. Uh, when, this, when this storm begins. In both instances, the sailors come to the sleepers and say, wake up, we're perishing, do something. And in both cases, there's a miraculous intervention by God and the sea is calmed. And also, both stories end with the sailors being more terrified after the storm is calmed. Well, Jesus ties together these two stories in Matthew 12, where he refers to himself as the new Jonah, as someone greater than Jonah. And if we look at the big picture, then we see the most profound similarity. We see the cross. Jonah told the sailors to throw him into the sea so that the raging storm would be silenced, and they would be saved. Jonah said, if I die, you live. Of course, Jesus Jesus gave himself to be thrown into the sea of death, so that the raging storm would be silenced, and we could be saved. Jesus said, if I die, you live. And so what we see is that Jesus is the new Jonah, one greater than Jonah, the true Jonah. His death on the cross has forever silenced the ultimate storm for those who have put their trust in him. And because Jesus dove head first into that ultimate storm, one day all of life's storms will be silenced. One day a new heavens and a new earth, all things made new. Mega calm, mega peace forever. At the cross, we see that Jesus lowered his head into the storm of storms. 
That Jesus went into the very center of the most ferocious storm where there was no peace to be found. He went to the center of the storm of God's wrath against sin. So that we wouldn't have to. And so that we could know peace at the center of every other storm in life. Friends, what storm or storms are you facing right now? I know some of the storms that some of you are facing, and some of them are horrific and terrifying. What storms do you need to face? Because our our temptation is to, to run from them, to hide, to pretend they're not there, to do anything to just numb us from the reality of that storm. But don't run away. Don't avoid the storm. Rather, turn to Jesus, knowing that you can face the storm with Him. That He is with you in the boat precisely because He cares. Face the storm with Jesus, knowing that no matter what, He loves you with an undying love. Again, it's at the cross that we most clearly see God's mega love for us. It's there that we see he really does care. And so as we continually look to the cross, as we become more and more convinced of his love for us, we are then able, more and more able to know true peace and trust him in the midst of every other storm. And so here again today, hear that Jesus says to you and to me, peace, be still, and know my love for you. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, oh, how we, we thank you. We thank you that you are king of the storm, king over all creation, king of our lives. We praise you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. We we thank you for giving yourself in love for us, for silencing the ultimate storm so that we could know peace at the center of every other storm in life. And yet, Jesus, we confess it's so hard for us so much time, there is so little peace in, the, in our hearts. That storm within rages. And so we cry out even now, Oh Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Open our eyes and our hearts to see and to believe your love for us. As we look forward with a sure and certain hope of that great day to come when all storms will cease and we will know perfect peace with you forever. And even now we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.